calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to We the Women. This is our celebration of the 19th Amendment. Exactly 100 years ago, on August 18, 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. To celebrate, we'll be talking to women from around South Carolina, thought leaders, movers and shakers. We'll ask them about how they have used their voice and what they have done to contribute to our great democracy. Enjoy the conversation. In this episode, Post and Courier business reporter Emily Williams interviews Anita Zucker, Chief Executive Officer of the Intertech Group. Well, thank you so much for, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Emily, for having me. I'm honored to be here. Definitely. Just excited to have these, these conversations. Um, just first of all, how are you doing during this time? Well, I'm fine. Um, it's very hard to work from home, I'm de- I've decided. Um, as much as in the future I may continue to work part-time from home, it's, it's hard to spend the day just in a chair sitting. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that because at work I have a stand-up desk and I haven't been able to bring one to my home to convert the way I work. And so that part's been hard. It's hard on my body. And I do try to work out. Uh, the food, unfortunately working at home gets in the way. Mm -hmm. And that's been sort of a tough thing for me. But I do every day try to do some type of exercise. And so that's helped. That's helped. I think all of us who are switching to that work from home format or going going through that, I know the food thing I can relate to. (laughs) (laughs) It's been hard. Yeah. I'm just happy my dress is on me. Well, I wanted to start just by asking about your your early career so of course you're a ceo now um but i was wondering what's what was your first experience with with entrepreneurship so you may not be aware of this but i was married at 18 and jerry and i were entrepreneurs from the start and so while we were in college we both worked as well and we had to have full-time paying jobs or part-time paying jobs i should say Uh, But what we did was we actually had two businesses that we sort of ran on the side. We had um, a deli, and the deli only served lunch. So we never got to be in it when it was open because we were working. And every afternoon, he and I would meet, and we would make the food for the next day. We might be making meatloafs. We might be cooking corned beefs or pastrami's, or I might be taking a 50-pound bag of potatoes and peeling it and prepping it for potato salad. And so we made the food, other than the bread, which we ordered from a bakery. And um, we left it, put everything away so that the people coming in the next day could... um, could be there to serve the customers. And then we had a record store. And in our record store, we sold all kinds of records. Those were the days that, you know, you had big albums. I still have big albums. I've saved all of my albums, and I'm really glad because we've come back to people wanting to use albums again. And, um, and so that's really a neat thing. We also sold waterbeds because back in those days, waterbeds were an item. And so that's what we did, and those, that was the beginning of our sort of being, an entre- being entrepreneurs together. Uh, Jerry always was in the middle of something. He was working for a company where he was busy inventing and creating. And so when you see television and you see the, the blue screen or you see the color bars sometimes, he was one of the people that was involved in inventing that um, for a company called Vital Industries. But... When you work for someone else, you don't own the products and the things that you design and create. They belong to the company. But still neat to know when we see it, I can think of him. So that's pretty cool. So it sounds like your relationship really started um, with with that uh, aspect of entrepreneurship and, and owning a business together. 
it sounds like that was foundational to your relationship from from the beginning. When together. In, in many ways. I, I mean, I was introduced to Jerry a week before I turned 15 by his parents, who were my religious school teachers. So they introduced us. They asked my parents permission if they could take me to meet him. And so I met him, and he was a little older than I was. Um, and we just, at that point, we decided we would date whenever we could, because he was going back to college. And I was still home in high school. So it was an interesting experience. Um, but we did marry young, and um, and it worked out for us. And sadly, his illness cut that short. We were married just shy of 38 years. And we spent a lot of time creating and coming up with new ideas and businesses. And he was amazing at that. Uh, but I was right there with him for many of the things he was putting together. Uh, what did you learn even from those first businesses, from that deli, from the record store? What were some of the first business lessons that you learned in doing that? Well, I think a life lesson that was learned was that it takes really hard work to be successful at anything you choose to do. And so we worked very hard. Um, we knew we had to also have paying jobs because we never made a lot of money. At least we made some, but you know, we had to make sure we paid the people that were running the businesses while we were working and going to school. So there's a lot to be learned, and um, it does take some discipline along the way. And again, it's just, it's all about hard work and getting along with the people that you choose to run your businesses for you while you can't be there. So we had to find the right people, and I think that's a big piece of business when you're working is finding those people that have shared values with you. That does sound like such a schedule to work and to go to school. And then you're describing making making meatloaf and other things for the for the deli oh, yeah. in the evening. It sounds like a it was a pretty uh, rigorous schedule. It was, but you know that's kind of the way my life has always been since then. It's just I I kind of go a hundred miles an hour, and don't stop until I have to. And I really, I think I learned it from Jerry, maybe, and maybe from my own mother. I would say she taught me never stop, just keep moving. And so that's kind of the way I've led my life. I, I keep busy because it's great to be busy when you're making an impact. Mm -hmm. You started your career as a teacher, right? What, yes. what brought you into teaching as a field? Okay, so from the time I was 12 years old, I worked at a day camp. And I worked in arts and crafts. So I was teaching arts and crafts to kids, and I did that for five summers. And for some reason in our family, that was just a good career in those days for a woman to have. The woman could go be the teacher. So it really was a good career, though, for me. And I always enjoyed working with kids. So I started at it young, and I just continued through college. And I worked my way through college. My part-time job was working as a teacher's aide in an elementary school for four years. So that's what I did as I worked my way into full-time teaching. So like you said, that was a, a job seen as um, a good one for a, for a woman to go into, a good career for a woman to go into. Yes. Uh, did you ever think at, at that age, at that time, um, or maybe when you were in school, that you would ever run a company, be a CEO? Was that, was that ever a thought for you? No. Not, I, I didn't believe I'd be running a company. I did believe that I could be a principal of a school. So I did get a master's of education in administration and supervision. And so I learned a lot in that master's program. Um, they made us do everything in that program, which is really great because a lot of people don't realize how difficult a principal's job is because you've got to really create a budget around your entire school. You have to understand the cost of running a bit that business. So it really is a business. I just didn't think of it that way back then. And for us, one of the projects they gave us during that time was you had to start with actually constructing the building and thinking of the needs that you were going to have to meet with the construction of the building. And then what kind of staff would you have to staff that building with and then creating your budget all around all of that. So so I would say I never really even thought about it until just now that that was really a great background for me and some preparation for what I never knew I was going to be doing. Yeah, yeah life I mean, came yeah. came and got in the way. Principal of a school, principal of a, of a business. I mean, mm -hmm. definitely 
parallels there. So it sounds like even even though you didn't know what industry you would right. end up in, you saw yourself in in that kind of administrative or leadership role. Exactly. I've always seen myself in a leadership role. Um, I've loved leading organizations. I've loved being involved from the time I was a, um, a teen, a young teen. I would be vice president of this or run for, I was vice president of my sixth grade class, actually. I ran for that office. I uh, was- the first leadership position you think you had? Yes, absolutely, where we had to campaign. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of fun, and I still remember some of the campaigning and the, the little fun things we had to come up with, you know, and I just thoroughly enjoyed that process. And so, yes, I started, in sixth grade, and we were still a part of an elementary school back then. And then moving into high school, I was in student council, and I worked on the newspaper. And um, so that was an interesting thing that I got to do as well, so I could write stories here and there. And, um, And then I was an officer in my youth groups that I was in through the years. So I really enjoy being a leader. So it's something that um, somehow I've found my way into that, and I feel like I bring some skills along with me. And and so the opportunity, the sad opportunity came along, you know, and I didn't have to break a glass ceiling. I had to break through grief when I became a CEO. So it's it's not, not what I expected, but at the same time, I've had lots of leadership experience, and I did a lot of work with my husband. Um, he was a great mentor for me. The Intertech Group and the Zucker family are proud to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. So like you said, uh, that was not a, um, an expected uh, a thing to happen for you, for you to become uh, the CEO and step into that role. Can you just describe what, what happened uh, that year and what that experience was, was like? Sure. Like you said, I think a really a really unique one, like you said, not breaking through a glass ceiling, right. but going through grief. Yeah. So um, while my husband was ill, unfortunately, we we did have the luck of having twenty one months, and every night I would sit down with him, and and he would teach me. He would give me pointers and insights, and I would ask him questions, and I kept um, a journal. And in that journal, I was able to write down a lot of the things that he taught me. And so that was extremely helpful to prepare me. And I'd been working in our office. I was the director of community relations for a number of years. And so at least people knew me in the office and um, could respect me for the work that I was doing. And so, you know, you have to, it's a whole big change because, boom, it's me suddenly as the CEO and no longer Jerry. And so I really had to work to make certain that I could keep the team in place. And some of the things that I needed for Jerry to walk me through um, were, how would I do that? What are the best ways to make certain that I can maintain the team um, because the team was integral to our business? And so he taught me ways to do that. And they worked. And I was lucky. There was one person I had some trouble with along the way. But finally, finally, we had to have a very, just a stern conversation. And I really believe in conflict resolution. So if you feel like there's a conflict between you and someone, you just need to find a way to approach that person and bring it up. And and so we actually had a, a meeting and we talked through the issues. I had two other people in the room with us. We had some rules that we set. I don't think the person knew that was why they were coming to the meeting, but that's what it became. And we really resolved things in a fabulous way. And the person became a fabulous member of the team once we had the talk. And part of it was some people just think you have to do everything the same way all the time, no matter who's the leader. And it doesn't work that way in my book because there was no way I could ever completely step into Jerry Zucker's shoes. I could not be Jerry Zucker. He was not going to be there. And so that's a very hard thing for all of us to have had to go through. For me in particular, the fact that I lost my partner. And we were not just a great team because we were married. We were a great team. We worked well together. And, um, and we cared deeply for each other. And so it was really important 
that I be able to come through this in a way that I could be successful at the same time. And so it took a lot of work on my part, a lot of relationship building. But in, luckily in my life, I had the leadership opportunities like leading United Way, leading the Coastal Community Foundation. Um, and I led United Way during a time of change where we were switching into looking for outcomes and changing the metrics that we were using. And, um, and then I was chairman of the board of the Charleston Metro Chamber of Commerce, which was huge. In the, those days, there were over 3,000 members. That was huge. And, um, you know, I, sometimes I'm not sure they always wanted me, but they got me. And I worked hard. I probably spent 20 hours a week in that chamber every week to make certain that we could keep things going. And so I was out there being the one, you know, representing the business community. And at that point in the chamber's very long history, I was only the second woman back then that had ever chaired the chamber's board. And so that was, you know, it was exciting to be in that kind of a role and to get everyone to work with me. And so my children have called me a connector because I believe in connecting people and creating really good relationships with people, because I believe that's what it takes to be successful. I think you made a good point that you weren't, you can never fully, fully step into his shoes because you're a different person. Exactly. And a different person leading the same organization, that changes the the organization, right? That changes um, the team. What were some things that maybe you realized about yourself or about how you wanted the business to run after you took that role? Well, it was a big change for me because I used to just work part-time. And so I had to come back in and work every day. And so it was a big change because I raised our kids and I could be at home with the kids whenever they needed me while my husband grew our businesses. Okay. He was great as a parent, always helped, great partner that way too. But I was the one that made sure that everything was done for them so that he was free to do the things he had to do. And so it was a big change. You know, luckily, my kids were relatively grown. Our youngest child was um, was finishing a year of college or two years of college, actually, when my husband passed away. And so they weren't babies, but it didn't mean they didn't miss their father. So we still had so much grief to go through as a family, and we did it together, and that part was hard, but yet at the same time, I had this great team around me, and they they boosted me, okay? I had tremendous shoulders that I could stand on, okay? I was on the, you know, they, they talk about being on the, the shoulders of a giant. Well, I had to stand on the shoulders of Jerry and fill giant shoes that I knew I would never fill. But I also had to get everyone to realize that there would be change, that it would be different. It wouldn't be the exact same way but it was also a good thing because it gave each of the people on my leadership team the opportunity to provide me with a form of education while I was also providing them with a form of, of education about building relationships. So, um, so it was great. We educated each other. And that I think that really made it work. And so, so far, so good. This is one of these weird times right now dealing with coronavirus where um, – there are lots of challenges, but challenges create opportunities. And so now we're, we're seeking to figure out how are we going to work through our challenges while at the same time keep everybody healthy and then find the right opportunities to go forward because many of my businesses are still not fully opened. And one of them we've chosen not to even open yet because our numbers in this community are just too high to take a chance. And so we are trying our best to watch out for the health of those that work with us as well as our own families and staying strong. And then we have parents that work for us. And as many as we can, we help so that they can still work from home if they have a child that has to be home and is young. So right now, you know, we're still figuring as a community, how do we overcome this? How do we help our parents so that they don't feel that they're entering a world that is so scary and, um, you know, filled with illness that they might bring home to their child. We don't want them to feel that. And right now, it's going fairly well. We have a lot of issues to work through, but we'll get there. And um, I would say that one thing we believe in is perseverance and commitment and dedication. So we work 
very hard. And I have to give my mom a lot of credit for teaching me skills like that. I, I did want to ask you about your mother because I know she's someone who had real influence on on your life, but also just an incredible story of yes. her own. Just tell me a little bit about, about your mother and, and her story. So my mom, as a teenager, had to survive the Holocaust, and she rescued her mother and her two baby brothers and her niece. Um, four siblings and her father were all murdered during that time, and um, so it was a really hard time. So I can't complain. Yes, we're dealing with hard times with coronavirus. However, my mom dealt with much more. She had to work. She worked for the Germans in a labor camp. Um, but she was still able to get away. And she was the one who knew where the hiding places were, so she had to move her family one member at a time from hiding place to hiding place, and she would have to do it in the middle of the night, sometimes in feet of snow. And she had to get the people who who had the hiding places to allow them to come in. And in one of them, she really had a very hard time because her own uncle was in there and did not want to let her into the hiding place because she was carrying her niece who was a baby and they were afraid the baby would give them away. So my mom convinced the owner of the property to please let them at least spend the night because it was so cold outside and they had nowhere else to go and then she would slowly get everyone out. And so that was one of the, the toughest things. But, you know, every night she moved one of them to another place until they got to another hiding place. And they would stay there as long as they could until once again they had to move. And she worked in fields. She dug up frozen potatoes. Sometimes they might get potato skins to eat. Sometimes there might be some bread that she would be given or uh, watery soup. And um, so I can never complain because I think about what she went through. She died right as the coronavirus was beginning, March 1st. And for us, that was a really hard loss because she'd been with us 96 years. And through her life, one thing she did was guide us, teach us, um, want to tell us what to do throughout her life. I have two sisters, um, but the last three years she was here with me. And so we spent a lot of time together, and I got so many stories, and I recorded. Every Sunday I would go and make recordings as we would sit and have breakfast and just talk for hours. And um, those stories were great because they really taught me um, what an amazing woman she was. And my mom didn't know about you know, women being leaders. She never considered herself a leader, but I had to teach her. I'm like, you don't understand. You were the greatest leader. You kept your family alive. You led them. You are the one who got the first job. When you came to America with my father, they came in 1949. They had my sister who was three years old. My mom took the classes to learn English first. She taught my father. She learned how to drive. She taught my father. So, And then they both worked whatever jobs they could work. And um, they had people who were willing to help them with my sister. And then my sister went to kindergarten, and that's where she learned English because she spoke German when she came to America, and today she doesn't remember a word of it. And then I was born a few years after they came to America. And, um, and so I just know how difficult it was, but we, we never were left wanting, okay, and needing, even if we didn't have money. My mother was the most amazing, frugal, great shopper on earth. So she really knew how to watch her money, and she knew when sales would happen, and she was the mother of three daughters. My dad worked, my mom worked too, um, but she knew how to shop and how to make us look like everybody else and always feel like we had what we needed. So we didn't have to feel like we were different from the other kids that we were growing up with. And that was really special too. So she just, she taught us values. She taught us how to make a difference and taught us that if you don't have money to give, you can give your time. And, and so we learned a lot from our mom. We learned from my dad, but he died over 30 years ago. So I don't have the same depth of stories because we didn't have the time together, you know, to understand all of the stories. But my mom, from the time she was a girl, worked with her dad and helped her father. They, um, they manufactured hats for um, 
both the military community as well as for civilians. And my mom, even though she was a young teen, she knew how to do everything and loved working with her father in their factory. That's interesting that she didn't see herself as a leader with with that kind of story. I'm I'm wondering, did that did that thinking um, transfer to to you in any way? Was there was there a time that you were, were working hard but didn't didn't see yourself possibly as as a as a leader? No, <laughs> I think it's the opposite. I had to work to convince my mother that I was a leader. Interesting. Okay, and finally, in the last few years of her life, she she was like, you know, I really had no idea. I thought only men could do what you're doing. And she said, now I see and I realize that you are leading your business and you are leading your people. And I think that's great. And it took her many years until she realized and was willing to admit that I could be a leader. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It just the what you were describing, talking with, with her and, and recording those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like a really special time to, to have with her. Um, and, and, and also, too, when you were talking about Jerry and spending those months um, talking and, mm-hmm. and, and learning about um, how you would run the business – um, those just seem like special times to, to have. And, and also that seems intentional on, on your part, taking the time, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and having those, those conversations. So having the time to spend with someone who's not well and you know you only have a limited amount of time, I feel we were lucky that we had that time and I felt like it was important that we value every moment. And uh, my children did the same thing. So my daughter had time. She moved back home when my husband was sick and she was here and every night she would go sit down with him and record stories about his life. And um, I had time to sit then. I was the next one, and I did all of the talk about business and recorded my journal. And, um, and so each of us had different pieces. And then one son was at college, and his dad wanted him at college and wanted him achieving and getting that done. And he was there, and I think he was in the middle. He was in the second semester of junior year when Jerry passed away. It's a very hard time. But each of the kids, my oldest son lived in Charleston before, so he spent a tremendous amount of time with his dad learning, learning about our businesses, and, and learning to run them. And during this pandemic, Jonathan has just been outstanding and has stepped up into a major leadership role, which he had, and he's always been there. But he's really taken on many more duties, which is great because at some point in the near future, I will retire. And he'll take over, and he's ready. That's been the greatest part is how we work through this together. And we work really well together. And my husband left us with a lot of things, great words of inspiration for us to carry with us. And one of the most important ones to me was have a sense of urgency and a bias for action. And frankly, in times like this, if you don't have a sense of urgency around what you're doing and how you operate, how can you get through? So we need to be serious, we need to take it seriously, and we need to take action as needed. And so that is one of the favorite things he left me with that I believe in wholeheartedly. And then serving as a role model, so that there's no question that we both believed in that very heavily. And and now I have grandchildren, and um, I don't get to see them very much because of this, you know, distancing situation. But... um, I have six grandchildren. The sixth one was just born a month ago. Yeah, thank you. He's far away in Denver, but I was able, I got to see him, and I feel so lucky that I got to see him and spend a few days with my new grandchild, and um, I think he will be a special young man born during this wild time. Uh, But the others are great. They run from 9 to 13, and all five of them are within that range, and so they're very close to each other. Two live here and three live in Maryland, and then the baby's in Denver, and so my grandkids are spread out, but the greatest part is the older ones are now capable of keeping in touch. Um, of course, there's been lots of time on uh, 
iPads and screens and so on. But I mean, it's good and bad. It's good because now they get to talk to each other. They call me, we do FaceTime, we do whatever. And it's been great. So we have ways of keeping in touch. And they're old enough now for them to begin to understand the values and what it's like to grow up in times where there's social justice issues that we have to work on. And our entire family has been engaged in the social justice issues. And I just did um, brought the Racial Equity Institute. We had a three-hour Zoom last week for our management team and my corporate team. And we did what's called groundwater training. And so we did a three-hour session on racism and bias. And some of the people who thought they were well-educated didn't have a clue until they went through that process. And so for me, bringing that and bringing them some things to read, we will go forward and we will work on the social justice issues and we will find ways that we can um, put things into action. I'm already doing things, okay, that are involved in that field and, and education is a piece of that for me. And so I put my philanthropy in education. I put my philanthropy into the food bank to feeding people. Um, I, I've supported the aquarium because it's educating people and we want to keep the animals alive there. Um, and also, yes, the International African American Museum, I think at this time is critical in our lives, as well as in the lives of all of the people, um, not only of our region, of our country, of our world. Everyone should know their own culture and history, just like I know about my parents, where they came from. And I'm still doing further research on my own family to understand. And so having this museum, the timing couldn't be more perfect. It's a shame that we're having to deal with the issues we're dealing with. But I've been involved in that field, um, I don't know, since the 90s probably. I worked a lot with Christine Jackson, who um, is in her 90s, who used to run RY, and now LaVonda Brown, who's running RY, and they helped us put the groundwater training together for our team. And I would say it came at a time that everyone needed their eyes open. Mm -hmm. They needed to be able to understand the depths of what is happening in our country today. And so I felt like I needed to lead that piece. And and as I said, my three children are very engaged. And now my grandchildren are beginning to be taught and to understand. And also being Jewish, we had to learn. um, Because sadly today, not only is there bias and racism, there's anti-Semitism going on and further hatred. And so understanding that we have to fight those kinds of issues is really important to me. And I'm very willing to take a stand on issues. So being a woman, doing it at this incredible anniversary and this celebration of women, in my opinion, you know, the fact that we got the right to vote, the fact that we're all here, we had women along the way who have led us. And I have some amazing role models, including my mother. And I I want to mention Dr. Mary Thornley, who's been an amazing role model in my life. Um, Mary taught me some of the same skill sets my mom taught me, which were to have strength, to be fearless and to persevere and be committed to things, same as my mom. And so, so many shared values among women that I think are so important. And Mary's been an amazing leader right here in our community and we've worked together. And that's been phenomenal for me to have someone like her. And um, and we do have some wonderful women leaders who've come up and I'm so happy that I'm not the only one at the table anymore. MUSC Women's Health has a long tradition of providing compassionate care for the women of South Carolina. Whether you need routine gynecological care or advanced fetal care for your unborn child, our experts are prepared to work with you to create a care plan. We offer in-person visits, virtual appointments, and virtual childbirth and breastfeeding classes. Our new Sean Jenkins Children's Hospital and Pearl Tourville Women's Pavilion offer you and your family larger rooms, and innovations to safely deliver your baby now and in the future. Visit muscikids.org to learn more about our new women's pavilion and how we are changing what's possible. Yeah, I wanted to to ask you about that. And I know you mentioned before with the the chamber specifically, only being the, the, the second woman to hold that kind of role. I'm sure you found yourself in in rooms many times where you are the only woman or one of the only women. Mm -hmm. 
how did, how did you handle that dynamic and I guess what's your advice for sure. who finds herself in that in that position? Well, I think the most important thing is you have to listen. When you enter a room like that, you want to listen. You want to make sure you're educated about whatever topic it is you're going to be coming to be a part of, okay? If it's an organization, if it's a board you're serving on, make sure you are educated and you have to be knowledgeable as a woman and then make sure that when you are ready, you participate, you communicate, and you show that you bring this strength of knowledge with you because I think that is how you fit in as the only woman in the room. You show that you can stand up with everyone in there and you are equal and I think that's so important and and again those skills are just so important being a listener but a really good communicator and learning everything you can learn and then you can show what you bring you mentioned your philanthropy and and a couple of the the priorities for you and of course one of those is is education and I I think there are uh a couple ways that this ties into to education. We have more female CEOs now mm. than we ever have before, but it's still a very small percentage. Yes. Um, comparatively, how do we get more female CEOs? And then also, how do we get more women in um, positions of leadership in uh, science and technology companies? Well, the science and technology piece is really important, and that comes through education. So we have to do things that encourage women. We have to bring other women who can come and speak about what they know. But there are things we have to do today. We have to train differently and educate differently. And so we have to make sure that women, even if they say they don't want to be in STEM, there are pieces of STEM they should learn no matter what. And they need to learn coding. They need to have really top-notch technology skills, no matter what field. Even being in the newspaper, for example, you must be able to use a computer, understand it, be able to use digital anything, be able to take film, to, to do exactly what we're doing here today. You're, you're doing another piece of the technology by using digital filming, okay? So we have to make sure that students today come out differently. They need to be hybrids. So if you want to train and be in the arts, you can go be in the arts, but you really still need that digital background. You need to understand data. Everybody needs to come out differently today. They need to understand data and metrics and how we use the numbers to guide thinking, okay? And also critical thinking skills, communication skills, all these pieces have to get put together into the person that's coming out today. And for a woman, women need to have that training. And yes, we need them as engineers, and we need them as computer engineers, and we need them to know that they can do it. So the key is going to start early. You have to start when a child is young. And really, as a baby, if you give them toys to play with that they're taking apart and putting back together, and puzzles, and giving them little electronic gadgets to create science kits, things of that nature, there's so much we can do to really start the process young, but we've got to educate and Today, I'm very concerned about our children with what we've just been through because I want to say it's about 30% of Charleston County kids that weren't able to be reached during most of the past three months. And um, the thought of the loss of education and then summer slide that happens, this is going to be a rough time in our history. It's already rough. The numbers in education are really difficult. The number of third graders who are reading proficiently, the number of third graders um, proficient at math are very low in this region. But the interesting and sad news is this is all over our country. So this is not just South Carolina. It's a huge issue here, and I work on it every day. Through Cradle to Career, we are working to really change, and we have decided to to try to be the managers of the... um, the work that needs to be done. So we've created a recovery committee and we have brought together a number of nonprofits. And I'm not going to say the name of our leader yet. We haven't publicized, but we have a fabulous person at the helm of the recovery piece of our organization. And to me, that's about all of our children. That is another way that I am touching every single child by being a part of Cradle to Career because we want to start at birth. And if we start at birth, by taking care of our children health-wise, we will change the outcomes. 
the statistics today are terrible. For every one white child born, two black children die in the first year of their lives. And it's education that is causing this. It's the fact that so many of our families and, and women who get pregnant are diabetic and they don't know how to care for themselves. And so we have to do a lot more teaching to make sure that when we start educating at the bottom, when the babies are born, they have to understand that healthcare is a big piece of the education puzzle. And if you're not in good health, how can you possibly survive? If you're not fed, how can you learn? How is your brain gonna operate if you're not moving and doing those things that feed your brain? Movement is critical, so is food. And so that's why I support the Low Country Food Bank, because we must feed people, but we must also teach them. And I work with MUSC. We are trying. The pandemic has kind of put a halt to one of the programs that we've been trying to do that would impact babies and their parents at birth and would educate them over a period of time and give them some uh, much-needed health care at the beginnings of their lives. So hopefully at some point we'll be able to implement that. But I am so passionate about changing the lives of our children because then it will change their lives as a parent. And we have a lot of parents that need help today. And it really is up to, to women to teach, to bring that to their own families. Um, and, you know, just I heard a story the other day uh, about the disparities, the health disparities and the impact. That's why we have this impact on our babies and what's happening, but also black mothers. I turned on the TV right after I had heard this groundwater training and the impact on, on black mothers and how many black mothers we lose after childbirth, okay, because of embolisms, because of diabetes, because of health issues where they could have made a difference, but also because of the disparities in healthcare, they're not getting the care that they deserve in our healthcare system. So I'm really engaged in these kinds of things and I care deeply about them. And I feel as a woman, I need to take leadership in, in bringing about those things. And I know it didn't answer everything, but hopefully if we start young, we will get women to be wherever they need to be. And right now there is the women, Women's Rights Empowerment Network, REN, exists in South Carolina. They are trying to educate women we need more women to run for office, but they need the education so they can feel confident to join that field of being elected. Um, we definitely have worked on how we can get more women into corporate boards. And again, it's education and training. But we have to go to those companies and get them to listen. And uh, that's the hard part. It's hard. I don't serve on a corporate board. I serve on a private company's board. And I'm happy to be doing that. I serve on two um, boards of colleges, Trident Tech, so I'm on their governing board, and I consider that a public board. And I am on the board of my alma mater, the University of Florida. I'm a trustee, and I'm starting my second five-year term. And I mean, you have to do everything there. You have to release financials. You have to do a lot of public information giving um, to serve on a board like that. And I feel like even though it isn't a corporate board, it is about a $6 billion operation, so I feel like I uh, am learning a tremendous amount, and I bring a lot to that table as well. And, I mean, we are working on everything, and I love that work as well because it's education. And I support my College of Education. I also am working on brain cancer there and at MUSC and uh, working on some amazing work that we're trying to do for glioblastomas. And then here we're doing um, entrepreneurial work at MUSC with the creation of an entity that um, has put together applied neurosciences. And the doctors are, and we have engineers on their team, they're actually creating devices. And our family helped create that to help the doctors become more and more entrepreneurial and to change outcomes for patients. And that came because of the relationship that my husband had with his neurosurgeon, and he became my friend, my surgeon, and I chair his board. I've chaired it for over 10 years. And I believe in those things. And, and so, again, it's education and healthcare, really, that are two of the, the greatest driving forces in making sure people are fed. Those are things I work on. I think it's, I think it's very clear that even from the, the very start, I asked you about your first you know, entrepreneurial experience, 
juggling a, a deli, a record yeah. store, selling waterbeds, working, going to school. Um, I think it's very clear as you're describing everything that you're working on now that you're someone who is constantly working on many things at the same time. And it seems like that's something that you genuinely enjoy. I do. Um, what's your advice for for someone in that and I and I, I relate to that <laughs> I relate to that idea of, of just wanting to be doing um, everything that you possibly can I'm sure that at times can get overwhelming mm-hmm. um, inevitably doing so many things at the same time what's your guidance for someone who, who has that drive but still wants to be able to put everything into each thing that they're doing so two things find your focus what is it that you want to focus on? Mine is still too broad. I wish it were narrower, but right now it's not going to be, okay? Yeah. I'm focusing on three really important pieces of it. Um, but at the same time, I'm very passionate. And I think as an entrepreneur, bringing that kind of skill set to a table, passion is a part of it. And so find what it what you are passionate about. And that's where you should be focusing and wanting to try to make a difference and get involved. Um, because you never know, you could go work in a nonprofit organization as a volunteer and suddenly that could be the place you work or that could be the place you meet someone who would guide you into the next career move you might want to make someday because you happen to meet and work together. But what I love about nonprofits is the skill sets you can take away when you're truly actively engaged. And that's been part of my education along the way. Every nonprofit I've worked with, I have learned things. And I believe in lifelong learning and learning something new every single day. And so I really try hard to make certain that people know that learning is lifelong. What's your what's your best advice for approaching a meeting? I'm sure you've been in so many meetings and have led so many meetings. What are some specifics? Because I think that's that's something, especially that young women are thinking about mm-hmm. when they're coming into a leadership role. What do I say? What do I do? What's your guidance for that? Well, I think one of the really important things, if you're going to be involved in leadership of a board of some type, you really need to plan. You need to have a great plan for your meeting. Um, sometimes when other people plan the meetings, but yet you're going to be the one running it, I really have a hard time if they haven't watch the timing of the meeting. And so I like to be at least involved, like send me the agenda if you're going to create it for me for a meeting I'm going to run and let's talk through it and make sure that we're going to use people's time wisely. Okay, and so that is really important. Don't waste the time of the people on your board. And I know sometimes some of the board work that I've been involved with and been leading people through, they're like, what are we ever going to really do? We're moving towards that. It takes time. And that's been hard because cradle to career is only um, in terms of actually having a board operating it. We're in our sixth year, okay, of board operations. It takes a lot of time before you see the change created, okay? We're doing it. It's just slow. And it's a process where you have to keep the people engaged. So it's really important that you find a way to engage volunteers. Make sure you're putting the right people, as they say, put the right people on the bus. You want to do that. You want to bring the right people to your table so that they understand where you're heading and are willing to work with you. Um, And so I actually worked with a ghostwriter and I just wrote a chapter of a book with help. And it's all, it's everything I said because he interviewed me to write the chapter that will have my name on it. But it's about volunteership and uh, being a volunteer and volunteering and fundraising because I do a lot of that right now. And, um, and so it really walks through how important it is to have engaged volunteers and engaged board members. So if you're not careful, you might not do a good job if you haven't found a way to engage everyone that joins your board. Time management, how you communicate, and and then making sure that the right people are there who have passion around the subject matter, I think, are pieces of advice that I could give. I hope you find that helpful. Yeah. What's anything about this current time that has surprised you or, or even changed what you thought you knew about leadership or running a business. Uh, I think I think we're all having to redefine and, yeah. and rework through what we do. 
how do I even describe it? It's a very hard one to describe because we've had to change. Change needs to be a constant. I always tell people, if you cannot be flexible or adaptable, you're in the wrong place. So it's reminding everyone that, okay, we all have to remember that change really is a constant and that's what we're dealing with now. Our world has changed. I don't ever see it going back to exactly like it was. I think we have to figure out what is our new normal? What are we gonna look like? What's our business gonna look like? What is life gonna look like for each of us? And so we have to be willing to think differently. And if you're not able to adapt or flex or change, you're gonna struggle in times like this. And so, yeah, we are looking every day. I have meetings with different people. I have my executive team that I work with and um, we use a Microsoft product called Teams. So we see each other, it's it's much like Zoom, but for inter-office things, we use Teams. And just the amount of time we're having to spend together, it's great, but it's about the, the way we have to plan and the way we have to look at things and how much more we have to pay attention to every detail and everything in our businesses um, because it's geared to everything. Like now you have to worry more about the people. You always worry. I mean, we always care about our associates and the people that work with us. We care deeply about all of them. It's a different kind of caring that we have to do because we have to care about their safety and security in a totally different environment that none of us have ever had to deal with. And so it takes new skills maybe Um, new strength to persevere through the issues that we're dealing with and and know that we're committed. I have to be committed to the change that I want to see happen because I want my businesses to be successful. I want the people that work with me to succeed. I want to make certain that we're still able to pay those people and, um, you know, and then also still be engaged in community and care about what's happening, the social issues, All of those things are impacting how we operate today as businesses, in my opinion, from healthcare to understanding the coronavirus to understanding the social justice issues, because all of those impact everything in our lives today. Thank you so much for for being here today and for sharing some of your story and some of your advice um, with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Emily, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. It gives me a chance to get my passions out. Thank you. Ashley Hall joins the Post and Courier in proudly celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment and women's right to vote. South Carolina's only all-girls school, Ashley Hall was created in 1909 by founder Mary McBee, a visionary educator and proud suffragist. Continuing in her footsteps, Ashley Hall remains committed to nurturing the next generation of female leaders in Charleston and beyond. For more information, visit ashleyhall.org. We the Women is a special series of The Post and Courier in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. To enjoy all 19 interviews, visit postincourier.com backslash we the women. Ready to set off on your captivating journey into the botanical world? NYBG's brand new online education program, Plant Studio, offers bite-sized courses tailor-made for you to pursue your passion as a budding plant person. Guided by professionals, dig into gardening, botany, floral design, landscape design, and more. Grow your skills with online learning your way. Register at nybg.org.